here we are. We hey. should be finally live, and yep. Okay, okay. So yeah, uh, hi everyone, and absolutely hi, and thank you, John, for uh, joining me. How well, are I you? Can make it eventually. <laughs> it's it's so nice, so nice to to have you and. Hopefully, you know, uh, I didn't say this to you yet, but I'm going to bother you uh, more and more <laughs> for next episodes as well. Right. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, people who are going to watch this will be uh, okay with it. But even if they aren't, anyway, I, I decide this is, you know, my stuff. <laughs> they, they, they just have to listen to me nerd out about malware. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how it works. Have and you have a cup. Which is which is very good. My my trusty copy, always. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually very fake. Like, I I use it as it should be coffee and it's the only water. But don't say it to uh, to no one, right? Okay, it's just yeah. our secret. Okay. So, um, you know, again, uh, thank you very much, John, for for joining me. Uh, if this is the the first time you're watching this, uh, we're live on YouTube with the Security Break Podcast. This is just a little project of mine where I invite cool people uh, to talk about the uh, latest security news of the yeah, week most of the time. So I try to, um, you know, um, uh, have a, an episode every week with uh, new people every time and select just the most interesting things that are uh, happening uh, out there and basically have a very, uh, you know, uh, very chill chat about about that and see you know what people are thinking about it and seeing if you know there's anything that i don't know about because maybe john or uh anyone else have another opinion or have a different background and can say something that uh, i don't know about it and i can learn in the process and hopefully also uh, the people who are watching this um, uh, can learn something about it and um, yeah, I will probably mention this, um, you know, multiple multiple times during the episode. But if you are missing the live streaming on Twitch right now, this video will be re-uploaded uh, on YouTube later and on Spotify and other, um, you know, um, podcast platforms. So just choose your um, preferred one. Uh, so you know, uh, if you like this and would like to watch more. Just let us know uh, hitting that, you know, button, that subscribe, follow button, share, comment, or whatever, you know, uh, you, you can find behind behind the video. And uh, that's it. So, uh, John, I actually didn't uh, introduce you. Um, and I really hope you can do it yourself. I will just, you know, mention that, you know, John is uh, actually a colleague of mine. We are working for, for the same company. And... Uh, kind of on, on uh, the same role. So this is the very first time. Um, congratulations. <laughs> uh, did I have someone uh, like a colleague on, on this episode? But if you want to say a few words, uh, just to, you know, yeah. introduce so, yourself. Uh, I do work with Georgia. Um, we've done a, a few different incident response engagements together. Uh, some good ones, some rough ones, but uh, we, we, we got them sorted out eventually. Uh, I'm over in the Americas region, and uh, I was just doing some work with our SOC, hence why uh, this had to be a bit later than expected. Uh, outside of the network security role that I'm in right now, um, 
really I've just been passionate about cybersecurity since high school. Um, a lot of experience working with different organizations, uh, providing security services is uh, my favorite. Um, in college, I got really into playing with malware, reverse engineering it, uh, taking down command and control servers. Um, there's, there's nothing more exciting than, than watching malware just try to phone home and say, hey, do you have any commands for me? And then it will crash in some spectacular way because it wasn't programmed for that edge case. Um, so yeah, I, I do that. Uh, in my free time, I still track command and control servers. Uh, you can find it at, uh, at Sarlacc Lab. Uh, on Twitter, uh, my turn for shameless self-promotion. Um, yeah, you can uh, see all the, the C2s that my servers are automatically tracking and flagging and sending takedown requests for. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my brief intro. Um, I tend to be more of the malware guy on our team uh, at Vectra, but, uh, well, we, we all wear a bunch of different hats here anyways. Yeah, I, th I will say that you are the malware guy, definitely. So, yeah, just, you know, uh, reach out to uh, the, the, the stuff that, you know, John is uh, doing and also, um, you know, uh, sharing on, the, uh, on his accounts. Actually, uh, I'm going to share, and I do this every time, uh, on the um, video description on YouTube, the, um, you know, uh, where you can find John. Uh, so, you know, if you are more interested in John than it's me, then uh, to me that it's actually... Uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, okay for me. Uh, just click on that link and uh, follow you, follow him. Uh, and it's I'll actually tell you very about all the bad IPs. That's, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> cool. Um, I was just to, about to mention that it's very cool that you know uh, you are so into malwares because we, uh, I think, we selected a couple of news that you're gonna uh, be interested in uh, this week. And I think we can just uh, start with it. What do you think? Yeah, let's let's jump in. I'm I'm, I'm ready to nerd out. Great. Okay, so I'm gonna share my screen so everyone can see it. And uh, you know, uh, if again, if this is the first time you watch this, this is how the format works. Uh, I have uh, four news that we selected from uh, kind of the last week or the last seven days or something, and I'm going to briefly introduce them. Uh, so just to describe what happened, and uh, yeah, uh, I will just ask what John thinks about it, and maybe I'll tell something uh, myself. So the first, the very first news we're going to talk about today uh, is uh, is something I I don't think it's very uncommon, but but it's still I think uh, a pretty um, you know um, uh, weird uh, weird weird thing uh, related to cybersecurity, like. I don't think many people are really, uh, you know, considering this kind of stuff. So basically, we have a pretty, I would say, pretty old video game at this time. I'm not really an expert, but it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It's not it's really over a decade since I played it. So yeah, it's pretty old, right? And um, uh, apparently, it's you know, people are still uh, playing with it. So uh, uh, it was a, a good one, I think. Um, uh, and not only the gamers are still interested in it, apparently, because um, it seems uh, the, the uh, game infrastructure, I will say, uh, it has been infected uh, with uh, what they call a worm. Uh, so um, with worm, we usually refer to a malware that is able to auto-replicate itself, right, without any you know, 
um, manual interaction from the from the attacker. And this is apparently what the this malware does uh, when it infects uh, the, the 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 infrastructure itself. It's able to uh, infect other you know um, gamers' computers that are uh, connected to the same lobby, basically the same. Uh, how do you call it? Like the, the same server where they are playing all together, right? Kind of something like that. I'm not really into gaming, but I think that's how it works. And yeah, you know, th this is pretty late. And I think there are at least two different things that are very interesting. First of all, you know, um, malwares and attackers are not every time just affecting, uh, you know, organizations. Sometimes are really targeting, um, you know, um, just normal people, right? And, you know, it's it, we're not every time thinking about, okay, even a video game could be actually a target or it could be, a, you know, a, how do you say it, um, a, a good field, right, where malware can grow um, uh, out there. So I think that that's pretty interesting. Did you ever see something like this before, uh, John? So, not worms. Um, I've definitely seen all sorts of uh, malware that tries to spread related to uh, you know video game content. Uh, the the first piece of malware I ever got infected with was when I was uh, was twelve, uh, mm -hmm. trying to install some mods for Minecraft. It did not go well. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've, I've just been on the warpath ever since. Um, I'll, I'll get them back. Uh, so yeah, no, that's that's pretty common. Um, usually, that malware isn't focused on anything too nefarious. It will be uh, mining cryptocurrency or uh, generally just a quick info stealer that will grab whatever login credentials it can. Um, sometimes it will uh, set someone's computer up to be part of a botnet, although that one's a bit more rare in my experience. Um, where I take issue with this, though, is I don't know if this is a worm. This mm. has been reported as a worm, and there are two analyses cited uh, in TechCrunch here. Um, I looked at both of them, along with uh, the malware itself, and I don't know. So the first analysis is by Steam itself, uh, and they kept mm -hmm. it pretty short. Um, Multiplayer for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 2009 on Steam was brought offline while we investigate reports of an issue. Yeah. And that's sort of their analysis. Um, someone, I believe, from Steam uh, or the Modern Warfare team, uh, they weren't uh, identified by TechCrunch, but they reported that they did indeed see some strings inside uh, this DLL file, which uh, indicates worm mm -hmm. um real quick let's 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 talk malware semantics yeah um you, you always got to talk semantics malware malicious software um is sort of a, a catch-all term that's used to describe all types of well software that's that's deemed to be doing bad things there are more specific subtypes ransomware is the common one but you know, it's malware that ransoms your files uh, spyware spies on you and what you're doing. There could be a lot of overlap. Um, there are a couple different classifications that try to describe how malware initially uh, gets onto a system. 
Um, one of those is uh, the, the, the Trojan type, uh, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but it works. Um, and basically that the theory behind that is like the Trojan horse. Uh, you have some program or tool that you want to run. Uh, well, this Trojan malware will uh, pretend to be that, that program or tool. You'll install it and it will incidentally bring some malware along with it. The, uh, the, the, the Greek army you know, breaking into the, the, the walls of Troy. Um, another option that, that we were talking about earlier is worms. So the, the idea of something that's self-replicating. Uh, a common example of this, or at least from when I was first getting in the industry, is WannaCry, uh, which yep. spread by uh, exploiting Eternal Blue. Um, and that, you know, as soon as the malware was run on one system, uh, matter of fact, it still happens, I still see it. Uh, it will begin scanning for vulnerable SMB instances and then move laterally to uh, those other vulnerable systems. Um, and that's a worm because it, it self-replicates. It doesn't require anyone else to do that. It handles its detonation, uh, scanning, and exploitation all by itself. Yay. Good for the worm. Um, I don't... I don't know if that's what's going on here. Really, the, the only links that this is a worm are someone in the, uh, the Steam community forum said uh, that they saw these strings contained in the file. For those of you unfamiliar with malware analysis, uh, a common first step when you're looking at some sort of binary file, in this case, it's a DLL or executable file, um, a common beginning technique is just to dump all the strings to see what, what's contained inside this C or C++ program. Uh, that can often give you hints as to the purpose of this or error messages, or if you're lucky, you can get like IPs and domains just right there, nice and easy. So I'm assuming that this user ran strings, or at least they were able to find these strings contained inside the binary. And it's just some status stuff, like worm deactivated by control server. I, I assume it's referring to its command and control server. Worm failed to retrieve data from control server. Worm killed by control server. Worm up to date. Worm status infected. And then a string, unsupported Windows version. User was randomly selected to be a spreader in modded lobbies. Maybe. Um, yeah, it but seems, I'm not it seems more that exploitation. Yeah, yeah. It seems more like uh, um, I would say it, um, they are just supposing the malware is able to. They are not really have you know they don't have any any clue it really does this right. Yeah, um, in my experience, malware developers are are not the best programmers, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I I prefer them that way. Um, it's possible that they haven't listened to me and my, my rants on malware naming semantics. Uh, so when, when they were putting these strings into their file, you know, they just, they, they got the name wrong. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my, my theory for what's happening here. Cause I don't, I don't see anything indicating exploitation. Um, yeah. not to say that it isn't there. Uh, I took a brief look at the malware sample, but I haven't dug into it too much. Um, reached out to a contact who should be able to get me a copy. Mm -hmm. 
like you would like to have a, a stronger uh, indication that you know uh, enables this uh, as a as a as a worm, right? Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, if if you didn't catch it yet, what John is talking about is basically, I would say, malware analysis or uh, you know even reverse engineer. Like, I would say that probably uh, reverse engineering is just on part of malware analysis, right? Like, it's a part of it. Yeah, um, right. A big part of it at times. It sort of depends mm -hmm. on what you're trying to analyze. Um, in this case. How does this code run? Uh, is is sort of what we're questioning. So that requires at least some reverse engineering of, of the code. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I saw a sandbox report for this uh, DLL file, but it's just a library. Um, I believe it's uh, supposed to hijack some sound-based stuff uh, that Modern Warfare uses. Um, yeah, so some sort of DLL hijacking is occurring here. Uh, mm -hmm. And as soon as someone runs Modern Warfare, it will try to pull from uh, this DLL as it begins its execution of the program. Uh, and part of what it will execute uh, appears to be this malware, um, whatever that is exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, right? And uh, this is actually pretty common with uh, just random articles. Uh, out there, like we don't really always have a very, very, you know, a precise and specific indication of what is uh, being said. Uh, mostly because, you know, yeah, you know, uh, news sites really wants to share as many uh, news as uh, as it is it possible, and uh, they don't really care uh, about, you know, how precise is the information. But I still think there's there's still you know something useful to you know to to get from from this information, right? Um, of course, you know I always uh, suggest people, you know, even if you are watching this, if you see a proper you know white paper or a proper you know a report from a I don't know a company analyzing a malware, just deep dive in that if you are interested, right? And do, do not stop at just reading the the you know the article, right? But just uh, go deep and try to understand more about what's happening and make you know your own opinion about it. Just don't stop at reading uh, the opinion for from from someone else, me included, by the way. And um, you know, still uh, was about to say that you know there there's still something that we can learn about this, even if you're not into you know. Uh, malware analysis, even if, like in this case, we don't really have a proper report uh, we can read through. Uh, again, uh, for someone that, that you know, has not a, a very big background, I think it's still interesting to see that, again, even video games can be a target for attackers and malwares. And there's something that you say, John, before that, for me, it's pretty interesting, like the fact that we definitely have, you know, multiple categories of malware, depending on what's the real goal of the malware, right? Mm -hmm. Spy on the people or uh, steal data or actually uh, encrypt data and so on and so forth. And you see how the goal of the malware uh, switches depending on the target, right? So Definitely. nowadays, mostly for, you know, malware targeting companies, you probably have, uh, you know, info stealers or ransomers or you know malware that does 
both of them. Cobalt possibly. Strike, I'd, I'd say post-exploitation tools. Yeah. We got to break in and then this doesn't stop it just breaking into one person's computer. We got to, we got to pwn the whole organization and that that's a process. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but versus uh, a single end user. I mean, at that point it's yeah, whatever you get, uh, but it's just, it's that one computer you need to compromise, not a whole network. Yeah. And, and maybe it's not really clear why for, for some people out there, right? Like, if you know about ransomware, we said this many times in this um, um, in this podcast before. But ransomware is basically uh, a malware that is trying to block access to the files and to the systems, right? And as many systems as possible, so that the company really struggles to continue, you know, doing business after it. And uh, it's actually asking for a ransom to restore the access to those files, so that you know the company can. Uh, uh, restart working properly but when it comes to uh, a single person like a gamer in this case or uh, any any other you know individual uh, it's not the same thing because the system for one single person as does not have the same value i would say of uh, uh you know a piece of the infrastructure for a big company they could just decide to you know i don't know uh, just buy a new computer or uh, just format it and restart from uh, from scratch because maybe for some people that's not really a big deal right or it's just easier right for them to 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 recover compared to a very big you know infrastructure with uh, thousands or tens of thousands of systems that you have to <laughs> restore from uh, from a ransomware uh, and also uh, a single user doesn't have millions of dollars to pay a ransomware uh, <laughs> yeah exactly if they do then i I'd like sponsorship, please, for my malware research. <laughs> well, they, they, you know, attackers could technically like resize the ransom for individual, but still, even if that's just one hundred dollars, I, I don't think I'm gonna pay for it if my computer doesn't value, you know, one hundred com, one hundred dollars, you know, in general. Maybe mm-hmm. a, a gamer one, like, cost maybe some thousand of dollars. It could be, uh, but still. You know, you can just format it uh, and just retry from scratch. So it's just more effective if you exploit your target in a different way. And you mentioned before something like, you know, um, crypto mining. So uh, using the target machine to actually mine cryptocurrencies. So I will definitely simplify here, but basically um, generating, you know, uh, digital value from the resources of the computer and when you as an attacker compromise I don't know 100 or 1000 different machines and all of them are mining cryptocurrencies you're making some money out of it right and there's some chance that some of those people will never really notice it just get the computer getting slower and you just think oh I need a new computer so I will buy a new one yeah. because this is old it's the uh, it's the the two year mark, right? That's that's what I'm supposed to get rid of technology. Yeah. Right. Uh, I I've seen that. Right. I I I've been in the just you know uh, IT assistance or uh, whatever you call it, and you see many people just thinking, okay, if this is low, it means that it's too old, and I need I need a new one. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's not because it's full of malwares I downloaded from from everywhere <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or stuff. Yeah. Um, 
what makes mm. um sorry yeah no go for it go for it what makes the targeting of gamers so interesting is um part of mining that cryptocurrency using uh, people's computers um the mining is a lot more efficient if you're able to use gpus uh, graphics yes. processing units uh and gamers and people who are really into gaming will have very powerful gpus on their computers which mm -hmm. is great good, good for them they get the the maximum graphics um someone who's able to exploit that computer though can leverage uh this victim's gpus to mine cryptocurrency in a more efficient manner why i think this is interesting is because looking at some of these strings and again these are just string dumps not not the keys to the kingdom or, or full reverse engineering, but it talks about some of the data uh, that appears to be collected. So username, Steam ID. And one of the things it looks at is GPU and what hmm. your GPU is capable of. So that, I thought that was particularly interesting. Um, yeah. The attacker's interested in, in how, what processing ability you have. Um, maybe that you're a potential target for uh, some of their crypto mining. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's basically very straightforward, right? If you're looking on how, um, um, you know, uh, how powerful is your computer, probably crypto mining is one of your, you know, uh, uh, your one of your goals, definitely, right? Mm -hmm. Let's see if, yeah, you're back, right, John? I'm back. Are you back? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. You're stuck with a, a gorgeous sort of fly move. Okay. I think, I think we're back, right? Well, at least I am. Okay, let's try again. Can you hear me, John? I can hear you. Okay. Sorry, just a big, uh, very small issue. Hopefully, it's all working correctly now. Yep, we're live. So, Rupert has it protected. Yeah, probably. They're, they're just, you know, maybe it's just the crypto miner on my computer that I should stop before going live, but whatever. It's what happens <laughs> when you keep talking about them. <laughs> uh, let me share my screen again, by the way. Uh, where is it? Share screen, and here we are. Yes, okay, so we're back. Um, so yeah, I was just about to mention, um, either you are interested in the GPU of your target because of crypto mining, or maybe, not, not really the GPU, but you know, uh, hardware in general could be, could be related to uh, using the target machine as a, um, you know, botnet component for a DDoS attack or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe uh, less compared to uh, crypto mining, but still, you know, um, knowing how many connections per minute technically your computer could do uh, could be interesting as well. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm supposing here. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen some malware that focuses more on that and tries to pull up internet speed. Um, 
especially if it's malware that targets routers because mm -hmm. those uh, don't need to worry about NAT and the router itself is the, the yeah. gateway for speed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe also uh, like IoT and other stuff like, um, you know, very random device that you don't, don't really know it's actually connected to the internet and uh, can be reached out uh, by, by anyone, you know, attackers included. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think, think it's very interesting. You know, all attacks are not the same. It really depends on the kind of target. It really depends on, you know, if I have this target, I'm going to use a different kind of malware. The malware is going to do something different. It's going to be very, you know, uh, evident in some cases, see the ransomware, or it's going to be very, uh, you know, stealth and doesn't really want you to notice it uh, in case of a crypto miner or something, because the longer it works without you noticing, the more money, you know, uh, the attacker can actually do, do with it. And, and again, I think it's, it's very interesting how it is different uh, like, you know, protecting an organ a very big organization or just protecting, you know, your own computer or just, you know, very home little network. It just has different, um, you know, um, capabilities for sure because you cannot spend the same money a company can do on protecting their environment. And uh, you definitely have different threats um, targeting your home network, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a a whole big topic of conversation, but yeah. it, it is interesting to think about who really protects um, single endpoint users, uh, if anyone. Um, I'd say it sort of comes down to the different threat model that they're facing yeah. as an endpoint user versus the, the threats that an organization or some sort of government entity would be facing. Hmm. Um, Contrasted with uh, just economic forces, uh, I, I do what I can to help people, but uh, I gotta I gotta make a living. Uh, so you can, yeah, you can right. download the IPs uh, that I that I post. That's yeah. send me a message. I'll try to help. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So if you're if you're okay with this, John, I think uh, again this was pretty interesting and. Again, we, we, we touched so many different topics that we can still talk about, but still we have another three news, so I'll just we'll, jump on the next We'll, we'll make a run for it. Um, yeah. I'll be sure to uh, send a link or, or post something, though, if I do uh, get a copy of this malware, um, just for some, some final thoughts on if it's actually a worm or how it spreads and stuff. Nice. Um, that, that will be cool. Yeah. No promises. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just in case you, you found something and you have some, uh, you know, spare time to dedicate to it. Yeah. Great. Um, okay, so just let's jump on the next one. That is actually pretty big. So again, uh, there will be a lot that we could say about this, but I just want to uh, kind of, you know, mention it and see uh, where it goes. This is actually one of the biggest news uh, you know, that recently uh, came out, you know, I really noticed being in the industry uh, that you always have uh, new malware or new set of vulnerabilities that are, for some reason, it's not really, you know, very, very clear to me why, but some appears to be bigger than others. I don't know if this is because of how many companies, you know, are actually uh, publicly, you know, uh, uh, exposed 
uh, regarding that specific vulnerability, but you know there was log4j before, or there is I don't know uh, uh, that exchange uh, vulnerability. And the very last week, um, you know this this product uh, called how do you spell it? Ivanti? Ivanti? I'm not sure. You know, um, just since, go for it. Ivanti. Yeah. Boom. J just because you know my English is never good, so whatever I will say, it's probably. Um, you know, wrong. But anyway, uh, Ivanti. So I think it's, um, I think it's a company producing like a, um, how do you call it, a mobile device management solution. So basically, you have a this product where you can um, onboard personal mobile devices or just you know company mobile devices for all of your employees, and you can manage all of them. Uh, like uh, you can see whether they are active, what apps are um, permitted to be installed, what kind of data are um, they are um, really, you know, using or sharing, and so on and so forth. So it's a very big solution that uh, apparently it's very, very um, um, common to be seen in many different companies, right? It was formerly, yeah, this is specified here. The previous name was Mobile Iron. I actually. Um, knew about this with this name uh, instead of this new event thing, um, and uh, yeah, it did. Uh, the you know the news is basically talking about a um, couple of different vulnerabilities, not just uh, not just one. Uh, you can see the uh, CVs uh, in the article here. By the way, if you don't know what a CVE ID is, you know very straightforward. It's basically just a, an identification number. It is assigned to um, you know most of the vulnerabilities out there by uh, I think Mitre, right? Um, Miter. Miter. I'm sorry for that. Um, they're, they're so... fifty miles that way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Say sorry to them for for me, please. Um, <laughs> so it's just a way you know to to identify all of those vulnerabilities, and so you can exactly go on you know uh, the Mitre database and. Uh, see exactly what are the characteristics about that vulnerability, right? What does it affect, um, you know, uh, if it uh, requires any authentication or just can be uh, exploited remotely or you have you have to have physical access and so on and so forth. So uh, if you're going to, you know, uh, be interested or be working uh, with vulnerabilities in general, it's very, uh, you know, um, this is very basic knowledge that you should uh, look into. Um, and we have two different CVEs right here. I think one is, uh, yeah, one is enabling um, the attackers to bypass the authentication. Okay, so apparently you don't really have, uh, you don't really need any any credentials to to access the platform, and you can do uh, a lot of different stuff. And another one is enabling you to, um, I think it's written somewhere here, but basically to uh, write some some files to the um, to the target machine disk, right? So that file could definitely be some malware that you can actually execute maybe with with another vulnerability uh, after it. And um, yeah, so the solution itself is very very famous and it's very common. So there are definitely many different companies out there. Uh, at some point it should be yeah. I'm just quoting here, but um, uh, on Shodan that 
we said this already in a previous uh, uh, episode, it's just a search engine uh, where uh, you can, you know, uh, send some queries to find out vulnerable hosts or just exposed services and ports and whatever. And you can actually find 2,600 uh, exposed, you know, <laughs> mobile iron portal. So again, this always drives me crazy. So one thing is to have a product that is vulnerable. Like, like that, that's, that is not something that you can prevent. Most of the time, right? If there's a vulnerability, uh, you know, at some point, no one knows about it. That's when we call it like a zero day because uh, no one really knows about it. But the vulnerability is there and someone can exploit it. So you can you cannot really do anything about the vulnerability itself. But why are you actually exposing the, uh, you know, the access to the, to the, to the system? Right? I mean, our, our admins need to be able to access it from anywhere, right? We can't. Right. We, we can't set up a VPN. Um, right. That's a good question, uh, and I don't. I don't want to make too much fun of the uh, the, the the at least twenty six hundred sysadmins <laughs> um, and the the, the difficult uh, setups that that they're trying to run. Um, it's concerning uh, yeah. to to see this. Uh, my understanding is that this. Uh, this user portal has a lot of access for management of uh, these devices. Uh, I know of a few different companies and some friends of mine have uh, this you know, mobile device management stuff installed mm -hmm. on their phones. Um, it's weird. Like it's allowing whatever company or in their case, government agency they work for to have control of their personal phone. Sometimes it will be like a business provided phone, but often it's just the, the phone that's, that's sitting in their pocket that they use for all sorts of personal purposes. Um, so to have this portal be made vulnerable makes all, some of the most, arguably the most personal devices of <laughs> all your workers vulnerable. Yeah. Yes, and I will say that it's actually most commonly personal devices, because at least in my experience, these solutions are uh, mostly used for what they call the BYOD. So uh, bring your own device, you know, a process or approach or whatever, where basically the company is just relying on the personal devices of the employees instead of actually, you know, buying devices uh, for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you still need a way um, to to manage them or to be sure that they are being used properly since you are actually using them for uh, work stuff, right? You are managing uh, work data, you are, you know, connecting to, um, you know, the company systems and so on and so forth. So you actually want to ensure uh, there's a, um, uh, I will say like, um, a minimum set of um, security measures that you are implementing, right? And you are trying to force your employees to, to use with their personal devices. It's very, I also think it's pretty intrusive, right? Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I would expect companies to ask for it before. Like they, 
they should not be able to just force people <laughs> to install some stuff on their uh, mobile devices. But yeah, the moment that you accept it, right, and you have the agent installed on your personal devices, uh, everything that is targeting your company, it's at the same time, you know, as a consequence, also uh, targeting your own device. Because on that device, there's not only work stuff, but there be, you know, just your personal stuff, right? Access to your, you know, social your media, bank accounts, or, yeah. Photos. Yeah kids information, all that stuff. Um, it gets even even worse. I bet. Uh, but it's an interesting balance to strike because, of course, as a, as a security professional and someone who is more than capable of keeping my own devices safe. Uh, okay, that, that's a big statement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get home and there, it's, it's finally yeah. going to broken out. That's not, not that I'm suggesting it, right? But... Um, basically capable, significantly more capable than uh, yeah. most endpoint users. Um, you know, I'm fine not having mobile device management on, on my stuff. I can keep uh, my, my systems up to date. I, mm -hmm. I know what's safe. I can navigate that stuff all by myself. Versus for a lot of users who do have uh, different company applications on their personal devices or use their personal devices for uh, business purposes. Um, they don't have the same skill set. They need some sort of protection. So yeah. they, they, they need to strike some sort of balance between getting that protection and getting that device management uh, via these tools and not leaving your device vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm still thinking, like, let's say that in some scenarios, both companies and employees are actually, you know, in a situation where they really need to and they have to uh, implement these solutions, right? Like, there's no, uh, let's say that there's no um, alternative, okay? So in that case, since it's not only um, the company data and system, but also the personal data and systems that are being involved in, the, in this process. You know, uh, it's um, even, um, you know, more important that, you know, the company itself uh, make the solution, right, the infrastructure uh, secure, right? That's why I was really complaining about, you know, the, the uh, mobile iron portals being exposed online. Because mm. that's one of the most basic things that, you know, it's not really a, a new measure right there. It's, some, it's something that um, we, you know, we in the industry always say that should be very basic stuff. If you have your, you know, infrastructure, if you have your network and your systems, they should be exposed online only if it's really uh, strictly needed. Okay, let's say that it's, it's the company website. Okay you need people outside the company to actually be able to access it. But for all of the other stuff, there are, you know, um, more secure ways to expose them, right? Uh, of course, maybe administrators have to uh, be able to access those systems, you know, uh, Ivanti uh, included, but, uh, you know, VPNs are something that are 
very well known nowadays, I would say, uh, definitely more than five or 10 years ago. And it's very, um, you know, concerning that still, uh, you know, either those companies, uh, you know, those <laughs> 2600 companies are not really using a VPN or even worse, maybe they have a VPN, but they are still exposing some system directly online, right? Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know, it, if it's just, um, it's probably a mix of it, like, it's probably some ignorance, it's probably some, you know, just uh, too much stuff to do, and, uh, you know, you know, the, the system administrators maybe know that this is not something that should be done, but they don't really have, uh, like, an alternative right now, so I'm not really... Um, saying that something, someone is uh, uh, doing wrong because I know it's not always very easy to do things in the, in the proper way, right? Uh, but this should be the very start of a, a you know, security process in every company, right? Uh, even before uh, updating the system, even before, uh, you know, uh, doing, you know, implementing any fancy solutions, you know, if you don't know where your systems are and what your systems are and where they are, you know, delivering their services, you know, without that, you cannot really build anything on top of it, right? Uh, so, so still, you know, the news is about the vulnerabilities. I know most of the people who are reading this kind of article are going to, you know, okay, we have to patch, we have to patch, we have, you know, to find out uh, where are those systems and implement the patches? But hello, tomorrow there will be new vulnerabilities. Okay, even if you manage to patch them all today, there will be new ones tomorrow. And as long as those systems are exposed, right? No matter how many patches you apply, you are still uh, potentially vulnerable, right? So there are different priorities here that I really think they are very very important. So even if you read about a very new fancy vulnerability, I still think that you should prioritize other stuff most of the time. Just because yeah. something is on the news does not you know, mean that that's the thing that you have to do that week. I, don't I, know if that I, makes I think sense. you hit the nail on the head there. Um, really just focusing on your, your threat model and especially for a lot of smaller organizations, mm -hmm. where's your data? Where? You're, you're trying to protect it. Where is it? How, how do you access it? Uh, it's the, the, the old uh, Sun Tzu saying from, from the art of war. You know, know yourself. You got it. <laughs> um, it's a wonderful Twitter account, uh, Sun Tzu Cyber. It's just like he, he who knows his network and his, his <laughs> adversary. Uh, and it's true. You, you, you need to understand your, your own network if you're going to be able to defend it. Um, not to make this too much about our work, but I, the first thing we do um, whenever we contract with a new company is we say, hey, we're going to be your, your network defenders. We're going to help you out. Uh, where's the network map? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got to. What's what's what? Uh, for my, my first job uh, at Steel Root, where I was protecting small businesses, I mean, they had maybe one IT person, or usually it was someone's nephew. Uh, 
who was somewhat technical and he'd, he'd, he'd handle computers on weekends. Um, we'd go to these small businesses and small banks or something similar and we'd say, okay, where's, where's your data? Where, where, where do you store things? Uh, who has access to what? And they, they'd come back and they'd be like, yeah, we have um, all our data is stored on this, uh, this NAS, uh, network access storage. Um, and all of, uh, everyone has access to it. It's, it's just what, it's the same password we use for everything. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, we would, we, we'd calmly be like, okay, let's, let's, let's mature this model a bit, you know, let's, <laughs> let's go find all the other places your data is hiding, track it down, um, talk about password security and yeah, just start walking them through those steps. So I think. Uh, as much as we all love the, the, the fancy solutions, it's it's the basic stuff you got to do first. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's multiple layers, right? We know that there's no one, you know, um, one single thing that you can do so, so you are 100% secure, right? So you definitely have to do multiple stuff to have multiple solutions to do, uh, to implement multiple processes and so on and so forth. That's for sure. But if you like what I meant was if you don't start with the basics, right, there's every, you know, uh, every piece that you put on top of your, you know, uh, of your wall, it's not going to, to be very, uh, uh, very uh, resistant or just uh, very secure. Right. So mm -hmm. you have to start from the basic. You have to build a very, you know, I will not say perfect, but decent layer of basic stuff so know where you are where are your systems how they are configured and so on and so forth and then you know as uh you know depending on your threat model depending on your uh, capabilities your budget of course and that thing you put other layers on top of it right and uh you know depending on the threats you are facing and so on and so forth uh but yeah again I really, I really would like to uh, to make it clear that uh, every time there is a new vulnerability out there, and there are plenty of them every day, right? If we're just looking at, you know, the uh, uh, the MITRE database, and you just look at how many there are every week, there will be many of them, you know, also very critical ones. But the point is not to be you know, um, in my opinion, very, very quick in patching all of them at the right time they are discovered because most of the time it's even pretty difficult to do it for multiple reasons. But uh, if you start with not exposing those systems, you are, you know, already pretty secure that at least half of those attackers cannot really reach and exploit those systems, right? Like the outlet is already inside your network. Maybe they can, right? And you have to do something <laughs> more about it. Uh, but, you know, at least I cannot just scan the internet and find you, you know, with your systems open, uh, widely open, right, um, yeah. for, for everyone to attack it. And I think that's a, that's really a great point to get out and to get across. Um, I just checked the, uh, the showdown link, and it seems mm -hmm. that since this, uh, this post was authored on July 28th, which I believe was Friday, yeah. Uh, the the number of uh, systems that Shodan's tracking has gone down to just over twenty three hundred now. So, the the, yeah, the, the more we get this message out there, 
Um, yeah. Probably a few reasons behind that, but it's progress. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I think there is progress, right? Like, again, of course, there, there's no such thing as perfection. There will never be, probably. Uh, but again, if you compare today to five or 10 years ago, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely on average, you know, if we just consider everything, uh, really, really better. It's just so, um, I would say stressing the fact that things that, uh, you know, were very well known, uh, even just in the, the IT industry, not, you know, the the security industry. Maybe at some point, the security industry was not, not really there, right? But just the perimeter approach, like separating your network from the rest of the internet is something from, I don't know, the 90s or something, right? It's not something mm. really new. So if you are if you didn't work on that thing, maybe that's the, the first thing you should do, uh, like right now, just, you know, uh, ignore all, all of the vulnerabilities and everything. Just, you know, focus on that first. Uh, just my little suggestion here. Okay. Mm. So what do you think? Is there anything else that you would like to say about, about not this Not too one? much else. I, I, I had to add on this. Uh, I'm not too, uh, too into the CVEs. Uh, not as much as I should be, at least. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, I, I really like to, you know, um, talk on on Audrey, right? So in this case, there were some specific CVEs that were permitting something specific, but tomorrow we will have new vulnerabilities on other solutions uh, enabling attackers to do something else, right? Of course, it's can be interesting if you're into it. So again, I really suggest anyone that is watching this at this, and it is interesting to just, uh, you know, uh, search for those, CVs and research it a little better. And if you know more about it, that I'm sure multiple people out there will know more about it, just let us know, right? So we can learn something as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I just like to, to make the discussion a little more, you know, broad and so, so we can talk about more stuff. Definitely. And yeah, no, there's, there's going to be more CVEs. Um, looking at this one, CVE uh, 2023, Three five zero seven eight. Mm -hmm. uh, based on my understanding of CVEs, that means that this is roughly the thirty-five thousand uh, critical vulnerability or exposure that MITRE has tracked uh, in twenty twenty-three. Uh, so we'll have more. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's very cool. But again. Just a little reminder before we go through the next episode. Again, uh, we are live on Twitch right now. And I think uh, once again, John, very much to be uh, my guest today on this episode. And, um, you know, um, if you want more of these episodes with John or any other guests that will be in the future, uh, I really uh, ask you, you know, uh, again, if you like it, just uh, hit that subscribe button, hit that share or comment button let us know your uh, feedback whatever you think about it just teach us a, les a lesson that i think it's uh, the most uh, important thing i uh, hear um, in my opinion because i'm doing this and i hope you know anyone uh, joining the the episode uh, think that 
we are doing this to to learn, right? We are having a discussion because we can learn from each other, and hopefully, we can learn also from uh, the people that are you know commenting during the live or uh, just on the YouTube videos and so on and so forth. So um, again, the video will be available on YouTube. Watch that, watch that out, and uh, maybe uh, you know uh, subscribe, share, comment, or whatever. Uh, that said, uh, we go to a new, um, you know, uh, news right here. We are going back to Malwares for the joy of uh, John here. And okay. again, there, there's a, you know, another very small but interesting thing about it. So this time we are talking about uh, Malwares affecting uh, Android devices, so mobile devices, right? Um, uh, that are um, uh, where were you know discovered on uh, the Google Play Store. So at some point, where you know publicly available in the uh, biggest and uh, uh, official store that you can find on Android devices, uh, they were I think both um, you know still uh, credentials and uh, try to uh, also steal you know uh, cryptocurrency and other similar assets. But very interesting th thing here is that, you know, looking at the uh, features of the malware itself, uh, the researchers found out that uh, there was, it was not enabled, but you could technically enable uh, a feature of the malware that was uh, enabling the, the malware itself to extract strings or just, you know, data from images. That's what they call uh, OCR here, right? So basically, you know, uh, it's something that you maybe are using on your mobile devices where you just scan, I don't know, uh, um, I don't know, a banner to, to see uh, how this translates in your own language. That's something that I do very, very often. So the software is actually scanning the image and recognizing the text on it, right? And then processing that text so it can be elaborated, can be translated or whatever. In this case, the malware called potentially, in case it's enabled, in case it's really working uh, as expected, uh, you know, scanning images, possibly screenshots, right? And recognizing uh, maybe credentials, right, on those screenshots. Or just, I don't know, have you ever met someone that write down their password on a, you know, uh, block notes and then just take a photo of it so they have it on their smartphones? I, you know... I will not say that I did it. <laughs> All right, you won't say it. I will. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's more common that, than we probably think. And yeah, I just thought it's, it's very interesting. It's one of those um, yeah, kind of not really new technologies, but it's not very, very old as well. And it's another uh, evidence that attackers are updating themselves as uh, as well as the you know the legitimate industry uh, is uh, is doing right maybe yeah. a little more slowly but still they're using all the new fancy stuff i found this fascinating um just mm -hmm. looking at uh the the potential attacks that could happen here um one of the big pieces of malware or trends that i focus on um is uh info stealers uh, so mm -hmm. generally, those will grab basic information, whatever it can get from your computer, and fire that off to the command and control server. 
Um, so that would be generally whatever default passwords you have saved, cookies, uh, some sensitive files that can find, that sort of stuff. Um, and attackers are limited in what data they can get there. Uh, so this is super cool um, in, a, in a not good way uh, that attackers are leveraging uh, your camera not like a, a live view of your camera, but things that you've taken a photo of already to, to steal information. Uh, when I first read it, I thought it sounded kind of ridiculous. Like, why not just upload the images and then worry about uh, the OCR, optical character recognition later? Um, maybe that's a possibility. Maybe that's what it was doing. I think they weren't able to get fully to the bottom of the, the malware. Um, but it was, uh, I'll try to fast, get on, need more coffee. Um, it's a, it's an interesting type of attack. Uh, it's, it's something that we, we, I believe we'll start to see more of as OCR gets better and more reliable. I've worked with it in the past. Um, I, I used to use it to scan um, my uh, my textbooks in high school, and that way I could listen to them in audio form. Uh, and it was very unreliable, and that was like printed text. Um, OCR just had a, a lot of difficulties piecing out exactly what it said. But like you pointed out, it's gotten more and more prevalent over the years. And nowadays, I can take out my phone and you know point Google Translate at some sign or. My instance, most commonly a Russian blog post, and it will translate it for me. Um, and yeah, I think that the, the technology will, will continue to see it used and abused more. Uh, this is not a, an abuse of OCR that I would have predicted. It's a scary one to see. It's it's kind of a very recurrent topic. Um, I, I would say in this uh, in this uh, podcast, but uh, in general, like the fact that um, we have you know always new technologies, right? Always new capabilities, and they are just tools, right? They are tools that can be used for the good or for the bad, and you know, just especially for us in this industry, we should always expect at some point. Uh, that someone leverages some specific technologies to do also bad things. It's not that the technology is good or bad by by itself, but you know it's just you know uh, in the human nature to to find uh, good and bad or on anything, right? And uh, you know just the just to be aware of this, I think it grants us some sort of very very tiny uh, you know advantage. Right, because we know that okay, there's a new technology that's very cool that we can use for doing a lot of stuff, but at the same time, you know, uh, especially again, if we are doing this for work, you you kind of start thinking about it. Okay, how can this be used in a wrong way? Right, mm. it's it's not a very nice thing to do, especially when you know you are uh, with other friends that are not really <laughs> thinking in the same manner as you, uh, like you're possibly that's what the, the most. Are for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's why I need a podcast. I need you know people like me <laughs> talk about this stuff because I I feel lonely. <laughs> but you know, 
it's actually it's actually good because if you can think, okay, maybe this can also be used in a wrong way. Maybe I can also start thinking about, okay, how can I, you know, uh, maybe prevent this, maybe just, uh, you know, respond to this kind of, of threat, right? I'm not sure in this specific case, right? But in general, the fact that you are thinking about it, it means that someone is also thinking about it, maybe already developing like something to, uh, you know, uh, combat the stuff or just prevent the stuff. And it's very, uh, very, very, very cool if you ask me, right? Um, uh, there are, you know, efforts in both the sides of, you know, uh, uh, of, the, of, the, of the force. Um, and, and yeah, this is very interesting. You mentioned something before about why the attackers are not just uploading, you know, the, the photos themselves and just, you know, processing the, the, those photos uh, afterwards. But I'm thinking that also means that the amount of data uh, they should be uploading to their command and controllers is much bigger, right? If you are, if you have to upload entire images or potentially, you know, even videos, right? Mm. Uh, it's much more data than just, you know, extracting some strings and uploading the strings uh, to the command and control. Also, because we are talking about mobile devices, and the um, you know connection from a mobile device is not as reliable as you know some, some something different that, like a computer in a big organization, right? So right. that could be one of the reasons, possibly. Yeah, I don't want to do too much of uh, the. The engineering or, or, or brainstorming on this on this subject mm -hmm. for the malware developers, but I imagine <laughs> that what they need to do is strike a balance between uh, the data uploads and then the actual processing of the OCR, um, mm -hmm. because it's not easy to get a computer to recognize characters and pull that out of images. That's a lot of processing power. So when I first read this, I was like, it was weird you're doing that on the phone. Like, why not just upload it to your server and then have a, a powerful OCR algorithm run in there and that yeah. can churn through everything for you. Um, I can think of a couple ways to maybe strike a balance there, but uh, we can, we, we'll nerd out about that offline. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or malware developers, if you want to send me your personal details, you know your your address, full name. I can I I'll help you out. <laughs> we we can we can work something around it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, probably like probably you're right, and that's probably also the reason why uh, it's mentioned in the article that the the feature was not really enabled. It's like like I, I guess you know my my uh, um my take here is that it was like commented basically on the. Uh, on the code, so it was not really working. Maybe it was just like a, a test they were doing and decided it was not really a good idea for that specific scenario. And uh, and you know what you said, it was actually uh, one of the reasons why. Uh, yeah, but it's got to bring me into the room. Uh, we'll... <laughs> yeah, at least <laughs> we know already that that's one of the fascinating things about you know uh, malware analysis because you're not really looking at just what the malware does, but really at all of the, uh, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the thoughts process that the malware developer was going through, right? Mm. The uh, features that are there but are not enabled, the comments that are there and you see how also, you know, um, 
you know what what the uh, developer was thinking about how we, he was writing, which which was very very big uh, some time ago in you know profiling attackers because if you see some comments in another language, it's probably not really sure, but probably um, the developer was on on that same country and so on and so forth. So you get to know a lot about you know the malware developer itself, right? Yeah. You can see if part of the code is actually the same exact copy of another malware that you, uh, you know, analyzed in the past. So this is maybe just an evolution of something or just someone stole that malware and made some, you know, um, updates or just some changes and make it work for another reason. I mean, there's a, there's awesome. a whole market for it. Reusing pieces of malware or buying someone else's uh, malware or their toolkits and then using that for your own exploitation. Uh, we used to track that work at Reported Future. Um, I, I spent my summer uh, just going through those those posts and seeing who was buying what, getting advice on how to use it, and so on. Uh, that's commonly what I see is sort of reused malware or something that's clearly been constructed from someone else's tools, almost like, uh, you know, like that, like one of those uh, cake in a box mixes, you know, you don't, mm. you don't do the mixing yourself, you, you, you take someone else's ingredients, you add this, you add that, and it, it sort of works, malware. Um, I, you'll frequently see comments in there that are instructing where to put um, like specific keywords uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with different configuration files, but it'll be like, oh, put your command and control server here. Um, and you'll, you'll literally see that in the code. Uh, the first piece of malware I ever analyzed was named payload.exe. Uh, it was uh, attacking a, um, a, a bank that I was protecting back then. Uh, and the theory was that it, someone just bought this or had no idea what they were doing and left the, the default name for, uh, for right. their malware. Yeah. Uh, I, I always got a kick out of that one. <laughs> no, that's, it's, it's very, very cool. Uh, like, never did this very, very deeply before, but I really think that, um, like, the way you can really get to know the attacker there, there's nothing you know better than that, right? Because code, I think code is something very, very personal, right? Mm. In, in general, and uh, you know, uh, you know, we always say, uh, you know, to protect systems, you have to think about like like an attacker. Mm -hmm. Like, what's better than actually reading the, I would say, like the personal diary of the attacker that is <laughs> its own code, right? That thinking like him, right? I think that there's nothing better than that. Yeah, I mean, regrettably, um, it doesn't. There's a lot of speculation involved into why did yeah. they do that. Um, my my girlfriend studies actual biological viruses, and she always looks at me with like such a such a strange, like you don't know that that's why they did that. Like, where's where's your tests and the and the proof and the evidence? And I'm like, eh, it's, it's, it's sort of a guess. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, it, that's a really interesting point of, of code being such a, such a personal thing, though, and being able to see and, and get familiar with that. It's rare that I 
uh, we'll spend a lot of time uh, studying and iteration of uh, different malware strains. I, I try not to go toe to toe with uh, specific threat actors over and over again. Um, I don't have the time nor resources nor desire to do that on my own. Um, but on the few occasions when I have done that for a few months, seeing the, the, the evolution over time and getting more familiar with how they think and, and how they're acting, that's uh, it's a curious point. Um, the only thing I can, I can think to say is that uh, Chinese APTs will commonly uh, 777 uh, files in, in Unix. Okay. <laughs> just to ensure that they have access. <laughs> just, just you know, more simply in that way, right? I mean, they're they're not worried about the security. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's always like that. Always like that. Right? Yeah. Uh, we we actually uh, had um, the news in the previous episode, you know, where an attacker actually, you know, infected him, his own computer with the, mm -hmm. his own malware. So it <laughs> seems it's very common, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So cool. Um, and, and by the way, no one is 100% secure. That's including the attackers themselves. Um, and me. Uh, I have yeah. messed up more than one malware lab by, by detonating <laughs> a sample in the wrong place. Yeah, there, there's the risk and someone has to, you know, um, to feel that risk, right? Yeah, I remember I was uh, reverse engineering a, a ransomware sample. Um, I was taking notes uh, basically inside the, the virtual machine that I was using to contain the okay. detonation of the malware. Um, and I was just taking notes in there because I was going back and forth between the debugger and notepad and the debugger and notepad to get all the different memory addresses and other key uh, pieces of information. Um, I missed a breakpoint. So the malware continued to execute all the way through its mm -hmm. uh, ransom and it encrypted my, my notes. Um, <laughs> I, lost, I like, guess you're, days you're, worth you're not doing that. <laughs> I guess you're not doing that, uh, you know, um, like nowadays. <laughs> I, 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 I've since learned my lesson, but I just, I thought it was, <laughs> it was fighting back. It's like, touche, malware, touche. <laughs> always, always take your notes outside of DVM. <laughs> or the sandbox or whatever. I mean, nowadays, yeah, they're, they're on paper. <laughs> right. The malware yeah. cannot still, still cannot, cannot encrypt the, you know, the paper stuff. Cool. So, uh, I don't know what you think, John, but um, it's already, I don't know if you noticed, but it's already more than an hour and we still have the, the very, you know, big piece here. So, um, uh, I always like to explain this again for everyone. Basically, I always try to put the last news, uh, like the one that I personally think is the most, you know, not the most interesting because also all of them are somewhat interesting, but the, the biggest one, right? The one where I think we could literally uh, talk about for a week or something. And uh, it also gives the name to the episode itself, right? This episode's name is end-to-end -end encryption is dead, right? So I know it's a big statement and that's on purpose. So you are curious about this. Um, the, uh, the news we are talking about this time, it's actually, um, uh, you know, a blog spot from, uh, blog post, sorry, uh, from the, 
uh, it's called like the Inter, like Etern Foundation, something for Frontier. Frontier Foundation. Yeah, Do that I, one. I that sweatshirt on me? No, <laughs> sad. <laughs> That's right. Um, and you know, this is actually something that is not the first time we hear about it, right? It's definitely a topic that comes, you know, uh, again and again from multiple different uh, sources, unfortunately. And mo most of those sources are, uh, um, you know, sadly are, you know, different governments. The point is that um, once again, someone is suggesting that um, messaging applications should some way provide a way to uh, break the encryption that nowadays is very, very, I would say standard pretty much everywhere, or at least in the most common uh, applications we are, uh, we are using. Uh, and, you know, uh, so in some way, easily and safely provide access to law enforcement and uh, uh, governments uh, to uh, just people, data, and communications, right? So uh, this time we're talking about the uh, UK uh, government and uh, specific, um, you know, regulation they are trying to, to push, right? This is for UK, you know, only and specifically, but we already... Um, so similar stuff from other governments and the fact that something like this can happen, right? If it becomes, you know, uh, official, uh, just uh, will um, make other uh, countries, uh, uh, you know, to copy UK, right? At some point, if someone starts with it, it's just easy that someone else is going to do something similar. Right. Yeah. So if, if the UK has a backdoor, why why doesn't the US get one? Right. And, and maybe it's the the same one, <laughs> but we will talk about it in a second. So the point is, right? Uh, most messaging application we are talking about anything like you know WhatsApp or uh, whatever you you use nowadays. Uh, you know, I, I know Telegram has in part uh, the the same uh, process, uh, Signal for sure and uh, many others that I don't really know about, they are implementing what we call end-to-end -end encryption. So basically, uh, whatever you write or send from your device is encrypted, and it's being decrypted only when it reaches uh, the, uh, the actual destination. Even if your message and your data is actually going through uh, you know, the infrastructure from the provider itself, right? So let's say probably WhatsApp is the, the most common example here uh, that you know uh, it's um, uh, most of the people out there are using. Whenever you send a message, okay, you can read and see that. When you send it, it actually goes through the WhatsApp service or actually Facebook, Meta, or whatever you call them uh, today uh, service. But technically, right, uh, we, we could discuss about some, uh, uh, let's say, exceptions, but technically, Meta is not even able to read them in any way because it's um, it's an it's it's encrypted with a uh, with a key, okay. And the key to decrypt it is just owned by who is going to receive that message, so your actual recipient, okay. Um, this is pretty default, okay, and this is the probably the strongest way we can you know uh, make our communication safe today. Uh, it's very, very standard, and most people out there 
uh, will say that it's the very basic um, uh, way we are ensuring our privacy uh, is respected. Still, when using you know, uh, devices and applications from multiple different uh, big companies and also you know, from multiple different countries, right? Because maybe you have a phone that was built in China and you are using WhatsApp that is an American application and you are writing to someone that is actually on, on a third uh, country. So you want to be sure, especially when uh, you, know, um, you, could, you could be a target, right? In some specific cases that your messenger are, are not you know, enabling anyone else to read them. Um, and, uh, and today this is probably very important, even if you know, many people out there are not really uh, thinking about it. And the, the, the problem with um, the, the suggestion by the UK government in this case is that they want to in, insert something like we will call a backdoor. So basically a way someone like law enforcement in this case can actually decrypt, you know, those messages just for some specific cases, you know, for good cases, of course, they are talking about, I would say, um, you know, um, discovering um, child exploitation or other very bad stuff. So the goal, I would say it's, it's actually, you know, legitimate. But the point is that if you introduce a backdoor, if you introduce a way to decrypt those messages, no one can uh, you know, assure you that only law enforcement will really be able to uh, exploit that backdoor. Okay? If there's a backdoor, call it whatever you want. It's actually a vulnerability, and that vulnerability can be found by anyone else because you know, it's an application we are all using. It's an, an infrastructure that is um, pretty public. So if, it, if there's a hole, someone is going to, to find the hole and use it, right? I mean, the idea is that this would only be used by law enforcement for extreme cases where it was needed to protect children at right. important costs. Um, it could also be abused, in theory, by law enforcement for other purposes that are mm -hmm. less beneficial. That it assumes that Law enforcement always has our best interest at heart. Uh, I'm, I'm putting on my tinfoil hat for this one. Um, or further, it assumes that everyone in law enforcement who has access to this is trustworthy. Uh, I know every couple months we hear some sort of uh, news story about someone involved in law enforcement who abuses the, the databases that they already have access to uh, for some stalking or uh, domestic violence purpose. And that that's horrible. I say that ideally this would only occur in an instance where you could have complete trust uh, in law enforcement's ability to uh, properly uh, use and control this, I like your term vulnerability, um, uh, yeah, properly use and control this vulnerability. And I don't, I don't see a way for them to do that. Um, the UK government has a, has a theory on it, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm not really sure it's even a theory, it's just... <laughs> They, they, they need like a, 
I, w- I would say an excuse, right? They they w- they say they need the, they need this, okay? And again, probably for some very specific scenarios, it's of course a pain to have everything encrypted, right? When you are investigating a very some very bad stuff, right? And you are part of the law enforcement and you're you're just trying to do your job, but at the same time, you cannot like my again. This is my point of view, right? And I think this is a very probably controversial topic for many different reasons. But the point is that for uh, you know some very specific cases, you cannot uh, cond- potentially you know uh, condemn so many other people, like potentially the entire world, okay? Uh, because you know. Uh, we, we cannot find a different way to, to investigate about some, some people. And by the way, there are different ways, right? I, I will say that uh, law enforcement investigation have evolved to try to bypass encryption and just, you know, just do the same attacker do, right? And try to um, make uh, bad people install a Trojan horse uh, that actually, uh, you know, scan the, the, uh, the host uh, even before it actually sends the data that is encrypted, right? That's, I would say, probably the the most effective way they can actually investigate today. I understand it's definitely more difficult than just ask to WhatsApp, hey, you know, just give me all of the data that this guy is sending around, right? And uh, it makes makes it more difficult. But at the same time, right, it's not that this is the only way, Right. Uh, mm-hmm. This is definitely too big to be the only way. You cannot make all the world definitely vulnerable, right? Because you want to investigate a very, you know, I would say small percentage of people in some specific scenarios when there is an alternative to do that. All right, playing devil's advocate real quick. Hmm. Devil, devil's playing the, the opposite side. Okay. Um, the, the argument, of course, would be what if someone has good personal security? What if the, the only way to protect this child is uh, to see what's going on in, in WhatsApp? Um, you know, I think we can both agree protecting children is a good cause. It's a cause we care about. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it's a balance that, that needs to be struck between what is the most efficient way to go about uh, having that protection with what sort of uh, vulnerabilities or risks are we willing to accept as a society? And the idea is, well, this vulnerability would affect all of society uh, in some negative ways that we don't really know, but we can tell her definitely that. Um, so it's sort of hashing out, well, how bad is it? And what, if, if anything, uh, would be worth having these, these vulnerabilities or, or backdoors set up? Um, something that's, that's interesting and I, I commonly hear as an argument, I even argued it myself back before I understood cryptography better. Mm-hmm. Um, was all right let's let's come up with a new algorithm we'll come up with a new type of end-to-end encryption that has some sort of complicated algorithm 
on, on, on the back end. And because of that algorithm, things are, things are extra safe and uh, much, much harder to either exploit or abuse by law enforcement. Um, the problem is that algorithms like that don't really exist. Um, yeah, the, the, the UK government apparently responded to uh, the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation's uh, letter saying that there are other algorithms out there um, and that we can, some sort of compromise can be found uh, with one of those uh, algorithms that, that can do a better job. Um, and I kind of agree with the, the EFF. Some things are very difficult technology-wise, but with a great amount of effort uh, and a lot of smart people working on it, it can be figured out. And some things are impossible technology-wise <laughs> and simply can't be done. Um, I was listening to a, a U.S. Congress member who was talking about something similar um, back when he was advocating for backdoors in uh, software in the United States. And he said he, he used to go to tech companies and argue, hey, you know, we, we thought it was impossible to land someone on the moon, but we, we figured it out. We got it done. You, you nerds sat down and uh, you, you, you cracked it out. Um, and a couple of years later, he, he took back that statement. He was like, this is not as simple as landing someone on the moon. This is landing someone on the sun or you know, landing someone on Alpha Centauri. That's, it's not going to happen. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I think it, it really comes down to where and how do we strike that balance of uh, maximizing everyone's safety and protection. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I never know when, you know, a statement like this, like you, you definitely, you know, uh, uh, summarized very, very well, right? Um, the fact that Government spokesperson just mentioned, okay, you just figure it out. You know, there's there's surely a way to do it safely, right? So you will find out. So there's no there's no problem about it. It's just not that simple, right? You're you as a known expert, right? Because you're you're not you know you as a government spokesperson are not really a technology person, right? You're just assuming always is possible it's just not how you know <laughs> the world works right just because okay yeah you you can do everything like you just research a little bit more and you will find a way to make it very very you know safe for all of the other people why we are actually scanning um you know uh, the bad guys all of the other are actually safe and no one is really exposed anyway you know it's just not magic, right? We, we have to differentiate between this, this kind of stuff. Even if you're not an expert, like I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert in encryption or, or whatever, you know, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not, you know, uh, really uh, studying this stuff deeply, but at least I am aware there's, there's some, you know, threshold that you cannot really, uh, you know, um, trespass, right? If yeah. you have a system that make a communication, you know, uh, secure, right? And that same system is 
used by all of the people out there. And you make a hole in this system so that someone can look at it, right? That hole is there. You cannot just, you know, make it disappear for someone else. Mm-hmm. It's there. Maybe you can try to hide it for some time, but eventually, again, of course, there's all of the topic about, you know, trusting the law enforcement. That's just a part of it, I would say. Let's say that someone here uh, that is watching this video thinks, okay, no, for me, all of the law enforcement are definitely to be trusted. All of them, right? I cannot really change uh, other people's minds. But the point is that even if you trust law enforcement, someone else will, at some point, right, eventually, find out the same, uh, the same vulnerability. Just how it works. Just how vulnerabilities works in general. We mentioned before, you know, zero days, okay? A vulnerability is called a zero day just basically when the first person discovers it and all of the rest of the world doesn't know about it yet, right? So they can, you know, freely exploit the vulnerability without no one, uh, you know, possibly noticing it. But, you know, it's called a zero day, just the day zero. You know, the day later, everyone, like, all of the world knows about it, okay? So what happens when you introduce a vulnerability in the most uh, secure, in the most robust, the, the, you know, uh, the most used uh, um, system out there, right? And it reaches the day one. What happens after that? It happens that you don't have any secure system anymore. And if we breach our own secure system, probably the, you know, the only one that we really rely on today I don't think we rely on anything less, anything else like end-to-end encryption nowadays. Uh, and we want to break it on our own, right? This is something that, you know, blows my mind. Yeah. Just, just doesn't it's, make sense. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary thing to see. I think you, you, you brought up an interesting point with a, a lot of these decision makers just not being technical. Mm-hmm. And believing that the, the technical people uh, just need to just need to work at it more um, <laughs> versus yeah needing to really listen to their technical expertise. We're, we're not actually magicians, uh, despite what my hacker handle may indicate. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really it's really concerning. But I think again, discussing about it is very important. Right, because still I'm I'm really sure that hmm, not many many people are aware of this kind of uh, public discussion, you know, being done all over the world, and how can this actually impact everyone's lives? It's just it's just you know it's not just us that are of course very interested in this because we are working on this, but it is something that as you said before, it's actually affecting all of the modern society. Or, you know, most of it, right? A final... And... Mm. No, no, please, go on. A final point I'd, I'd, I'd like to bring up on this is that um, this is affecting modern society. I believe they're specifically talking about WhatsApp uh, in mm. this case. A lot of people use WhatsApp. I just downloaded WhatsApp the other day so I can call a friend who's in another country. Um, If a backdoor is put into WhatsApp, 
and it is no longer safe for criminals to use WhatsApp. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, criminals are not the smartest, so I, I'm confident some of them will stay on WhatsApp, but many of them will simply move to a platform that has end-to-end -end encryption. The math is not that hard that it's impossible for uh, someone to build it on their own with uh, a couple weeks of research or there are all sorts of open source programs out there already yeah. that, that do this. Um, so I, I don't think it, you're, you're going to get what you're going for. Might help a little bit, but not, not nearly enough. Um, hopefully the rest of the world will move to those uh, secure platforms with them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, you're so right. Like, we are reading this article. Anyone else can read this article and thinks, okay, maybe tomorrow WhatsApp is not really the best thing to use, right? Especially if I'm running very legal stuff. So maybe can I, I can, you know, uh, uh, rethink about my, uh, my tools and my, my technologies. So again, of course, it's not going to be for every people out there, but it's not a secret that you are introducing something like this. And the most, you know, the smartest, um, you know, bad people out there are going to just use something else. And as I also have a last point here, like let's imagine that this thing actually happens, right? So that from tomorrow in UK, um, law enforcement uh, can actually, uh, you know, start accessing randomly any any stuff on, on those, um, those applications. Like, what will happen? I'm thinking that um, probably some companies will just stop uh, delivering the, their services in UK if they don't Absolutely. want to. It's, it's, no? it's not safe. You, 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 you can't trust it, sadly. Yeah. Policy-wise, it's not a good decision. So, so you just, you know, you're just... Um, removing totally like a, a, a very well-known service that the rest of the world has from your country, just because I, I don't think you can actually force, you know, uh, foreign co countries to, to introduce something like this. Maybe if they're doing this in your country, you can, but they, they can just stop, you know, um, delivering that in, uh, in UK. And some, maybe not all of them, but some of the, uh, those companies will definitely consider it, right? I will probably just uh, lose a country instead of losing, you know, 90% of my users that are um, really uh, considering privacy as one of the, uh, you know, most important things when installing my, my application, right? Um, so that's not really a smart move anyway. I mean, like, however you, 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 you look at this, not, not really a smart move. Um, yeah. I've been listening to a, uh, a couple interesting discussions. Um, the United States, is, some of the states here are enacting similar laws or looking into similar laws. Um, one of the ones that's become very popular lately is uh, age verification for adult websites. Mm -hmm. um, basically, different lawmakers are saying, hey, uh, kids, can still go to these websites and say, yes, I'm 18, 
and see whatever content that we don't want them to see at that age. Um, so they are attempting to enact laws that will say you need to give us your driver's license in order to access the service. Sure. So uh, one company in particular, uh, Pornhub, which does uh, a lot of work on user privacy. Uh, a friend of mine actually did research with them, strangely, in college on user privacy. Okay. Um, they have a great privacy team, uh, she said. Um, so they have uh, just stopped providing services to certain states. Uh, they'll do IP geolocation. And mm -hmm. if you're located in some of the states where they're supposed to go through this whole verification system, uh, they, they'll say, no, we're, we're, we're not going to provide you uh, access to our website because we don't believe this verification system is trustworthy. Uh, mm -hmm. We believe that it endangers you further. Um, yeah, so I think WhatsApp or other country or other companies will, will do the same thing. Say, hey, we don't believe that this is a, a good policy. So we're just not going to do it. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's one of the possible scenarios. If, you know, this actually happens. And by the way, uh, the EFF is actually, you know, asking for, uh, I think they are just collecting probably, you know, um, um, you know, signatures, right, uh, to, um, to see how loud, you know, how many people are actually um, not think that this is a, a very good idea, right? So maybe uh, if, you, uh, if you have the same uh, opinion on this, you can just go uh, to the same um, EFF site and uh, uh, just use the button right there. Uh, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's not just take your decision here. And, you know, uh, again, the discussion, I think it's, it's uh, very, very important here. The awareness of people uh, should be very important here. Even, you know, in the case that something like this happens and you have to decide which application you want to use that the one that is really, you know, complying with that stuff right there, or maybe you want an alternative. Uh, if you don't know, you're just vulnerable to whatever people wants to do when they found out about this vulnerability. So I still think that awareness is uh, everything here. And, right? you know, discussion wise, um, this is a discussion. We, we both basically fall on the on the same side of this. Uh, we were just reading an article by the EFF, uh, a notorious uh, action group with a, a bunch of lawyers, and they do a lot of great work. I, I, I donate to them. Um, but if you disagree with us, please let us know. I'm fascinated legitimately. I, I want to hear uh, from people who, who disagree with me so I can learn more too. Um, whoever said I was right. Absolutely. I think there's, you know, that's exactly the purpose of all of this project, right? Uh, to have more discussions, you know, uh, with uh, me, with my guests, but with all of the people that can actually, you know, uh, uh, say say their words about whatever we, we said. Right now, we are just using our own opinions about what we read. Uh, we're just taking our own knowledge, our own, you know, um, uh, beliefs and uh, backgrounds to our discussion, but other people can have uh, different opinions, can have uh, different knowledge, can know definitely more than 
me or John or or whoever. So please, 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 if you have something to say, uh, just say it. I will really appreciate it. And uh, with this, uh, John, I really thank you, thank, thank you, thank, thank you very much uh, to to you know to have spent these almost two hours with me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, and I still think this is uh, a very good thing to do uh, for multiple reasons that we already mentioned. And um, yeah, I also thank you, whoever is going to uh, to watch this episode. And I know I'm repeating myself, but it's very, very important to have feedbacks. And feedbacks uh, translate with, you know, uh, again, um, sus- subscribers, comments, sharing, and uh, actually, you know, any message that you want also to just directly write to to me or John or uh, whoever guests so that we know what did you like, what did you don't like maybe, and if we can do something to to improve this, right? Because this is for me or for John or and also for everyone that is uh, uh, going to watch it. Uh, being that on Twitch live, like we are doing right now, or on uh, YouTube, Spotify, or your other you know preferred platform for for podcasts. That's that's gonna be all for today, and uh, yeah, I you know just stay tuned for the next episodes. Uh, we I actually have a bunch of very interesting uh, people. Not that John is not interesting, of course he is, uh, but um, you know, just people that maybe uh, you you know already, right? Um, so so yeah, stay tuned and thank you very much, everyone. Have a good night, afternoon, morning, whatever, whatever you are. Lovely evening here, but I, I believe it's morning for you, so go get some yeah. sleep. Yeah, going, going, to, going to be morning very soon. Yeah, right. thank you very much and see you. Bye-bye. Take care.